morning, everybody. Standing near the back, watching people come in, and even sometimes being in my my office window faces the parking lot. Watch people come in. You know, a little checklist, and I I look at all of you and. I'm grateful. I love you. This is a wonderful congregation. Um, I've been very fortunate in the ministry. I've had, I've had congregations that probably were maybe less than you, but I've never had a, you know, a terrible congregation. <clears throat> but I'm just grateful for each one of you today. Now, I want to say that in preparation for, uh, so the women won't get mad at me. So really, I don't know if I really meant all that, that I just said. It's just I want to save myself from the women because I didn't preach a Mother's Day sermon. But today, being Father's Day, I felt prompted that way. So... But a way I can get out of that is not that we neglected the mothers. Each of you are so perfect that you don't need a sermon about how to behave. So, at any rate, there are three scriptures that I want to look at, and I think we'll go ahead and read them um, at this point and then refer to them a bit um, later. The first one that I'd like to look at is found <clears throat> in Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. Colossians 3, 21. Short verse. When we see the word fathers, it does not necessarily eliminate mothers at all. It's, it's a parental word. In 21 of 3, Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. That's the first verse I want us to look at. Second, found in Ephesians Chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Then finally, <clears throat> in Psalm 103, beginning with verse 8. <clears throat> Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love or mercy. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love 
toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes, has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. The three things that I want to look at from these three passages, <clears throat> first, of all, first of all, primarily the Colossians passage, do not provoke your children lest they be discouraged, or some versions say faint. Doesn't mean pass out, it means lose heart, give up. Can't ever be, I'm never right, can't win. <clears throat> that first statement to fathers, to parents, is a prohibition. It is intended to instill in parents, here's what you don't do. I think it's hard for us as parents to remember how we're perceived generally, initially, unless we destroy respect for us. That comes almost automatically. Our children look up to us. We're bigger, we're, we're their parents. They don't have time to think, learn, especially when we bring them home from the hospital and they're wrapped in either a blue or a pink blanket. Don't forget that. Don't bring a boy home in a pink blanket. Anyway. They look up to us. It is, it is then sometimes easy to be harder, expect more than they're capable of delivering. It is, it's a difficult job. The task of parenting is, here's, here's the problem with that task. First, it is under God the most important task I have next to keeping my own soul right with God and walking with God. The, the next greatest responsibility I have is to parent. I have a moldable soul, a never-dying soul, will live forever delivered into our hands. And I hope you don't think I'm too hard-hearted and whatever else, but there are times when I end up at the hospital a lot visiting people from the congregation that are up there. I talk to myself probably, which is some kind of mental difficulty. I will see a car out front of the hospital 
I'll see a nurse, usually, or some, somebody, pushing in a wheelchair, a brand new mom. And there's a little, little bundle in her arms. And many times, hopefully, there's a father. And he's, he gets the door, and they help her get in. And a lot of times, I look, I look at that scene, and often by behavior, language, maybe this is not right, but some appearance, I think, dear God in heaven, does that little soul have a chance? And I think, man, Lord, committing that little never-dying being. Anyway. Because the number one job is not just raising us, raising our children to get good grades and get a degree and make money and have an outstanding career and all this. Those are all trivial compared to the number one responsibility. Do the best I can to train them to hear and heed God's voice. If I do not instill in them that they're to heed my voice, the teacher's voice, the police voice, the boss's voice. In our society, we face authority figures. If we fail to teach them that we're under authority, we cannot be self-sovereigns. If we fail there, then when that day comes that they hear that still, small voice from God, they will reject it just like they've learned that they can reject yours. That's our number one, that's our number one responsibility. Here's the problem that we have. We're flawed. L at least you are. Here's, but think about this. We're the, in a sense, we're the least prepared for the most important job we could have. And that's to mold and train the minds, the psyche, and the soul of a never-dying product from God. We're, in a sense, then, for the greatest responsibility, the least qualified because we're flawed. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but God's our pattern, but he's perfect. We're not. We're flawed. We're, in a many, many different ways, we're flawed. We're also influenced by how we were maybe raised, 
how we behaved as children and in our young adult lives, some of the scars we have, the errors we made, the bad paths we took, all of those mingled together are in our minds. And then as we try to mold that soul, we're thinking what not to do because that's how I was raised and I feel it was bad. And I know I went off the rails and I did this, so I'm overly protective, overly corrective to that child. We're given a task that we're terribly disqualified for. Now, we'll get to this. I hope we can begin to even think that unless God guides our hearts and lives in our hearts and teaches us and walks with us and instructs us, I can't perform this greatest of all tasks. Can't do it unless God lives in here. So first he says, don't provoke your children, lest they faint, lose heart, give up. We know the effects of a poor raising. We have to walk a tightrope here in life between not repeating the same mistakes that were made, we feel, with us, but at the same time, not using those as a perpetual excuse for our ridiculous behavior. There are people who never, I've been doing this a long time, and there are people who always, their default position is, well, this is how my parents acted. I know that it affects us. I know that can't be dismissed. But it's also wrong to not let God remold us, re-educate us, file off rough edges, reteach us without going into lots of details and nobody the, the, of the thousands that are watching this live stream service would know my family. My dad had a wonderful father and the worst mother ever made. Most miserable grandmother you, you could imagine. Seriously. She rode a broom every day. Terrible. Honestly. Warned my uncle and my dad constantly. Don't get married. I don't care how nice this woman is. She'll change. Probably was speaking of herself. But marriage is horrible. Family's horrible. Everything's bad. Scared both of them to death so that my uncle never married. And my dad was so scared... He, he just figured, well, I, I do love her, but if my mom's right, 
I'll just divorce her. <laughs> I'll get out of it. It was kind of a, well, here we go. I'll take the plunge. That affected my father. My grandmother spent all of her life, and I mean up until I was in my 20s and went to college near her home and would go visit her as a chore once a week, trying to be decent to her. Even then, when she was in her 70s, she would tell me every single time I visited with her about how she didn't want my father. She told my dad all the time, he was, I didn't want you. And then I decided I wanted a girl, and I'd picked this wonderful name, Maxine. And when it showed up that it was a boy, it was just Max. Yeah, put Max on the birth certificate. Now, if you've been told your whole life, I didn't want you, that will affect you. However, God changed my father's heart, trained him by how God is. He never treated us like that at all. We had the most fun home you could have. That's why the years I went off the rails, there's no excuse up for it. None. Couldn't have had a better home. And he came out of a horrible situation. But he didn't have to repeat that. We talk a lot about, well, just generational. We just repeat. You don't have to. There's a God. He can change our hearts, change our inclinations, change our habit. There's nothing too hard for God. He can make wonderful parents who've come out of horrible situations because he's God. So we don't have to repeat the same things. I better move on or we'll, we'll go over again. <clears throat> then I'll have the nursery people after me. Don't be hard on our children. Remember, not be unreasonable with them. Do our best to be patient. Do our best. And here's where I think the number one thing may be, and David refers to it, the psalmist here in Psalm 103. The Lord, it says, knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. That is the key thing, and here's the problem. You and I can faintly remember that, but it's very hard, and we're rarely accurate. Meaning, God knows exactly what I can perform and what I can't. Therefore, He never, ever, ever makes an unreasonable or impossible or unnecessary requirement of me. He never does that. Because he knows, he said, I haven't forgotten, you're made out of dust. You're not capable of a lot of things. Jesus told the disciples, he said, I have way more things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. So we'll wait. Parents, flesh and blood parents, I can't, I, I don't have that kind of insight. I have a very faint, foggy sense of what they might be capable of doing, 
and what they aren't capable of doing. And I don't know where the line is sometimes. And so we're fraught with flaws there. One time, and this just comes to my mind by saying one time, one time Liz cleaned the mirrors. <laughs> there, we had this full-length mirror in the upstairs hallway. She cleaned the mirror, and it, more than once, but she cleaned the mirror, and it wasn't 15 minutes. And both of our boys were in front of the mirror, real close, <gasps> writing in it. And then, so I don't know which one of them was inspired with the thought that it'd be better even yet to lick it. So they were licking the mirror and writing in it. And Well, I looked at that, and I forgot that they were dust. <laughs> My thought is, their mother cleaned that, and they're just, I attributed bad motives to them, not just wacky little kids. And so I remember, I think, not horrendously spanking them, but swatting them a little bit, making them go into their room. They're just nutty little kids. I forgot they were dust. God doesn't. He knows. So he's perfect. That's why. That's why. I think one of the, another thing we must do with our children is be quick to apologize to them. Now, I know a lot of parents who feel, oh, if I do that, they'll lose respect. Let me tell you something. They'll lose respect if you don't. I can't tell you the number of times my parents would sit us down and say, you know what, I was too hard on you there. I know you didn't realize what you were doing, and I'm sorry. Man, your confidence, your security, your trust, your respect skyrockets for your parents when you recognize that they will, they will acknowledge mistakes, they love us. They care for us. I'm safe with them. So the prohibition. Do our best not to provoke, not to be unreasonable, unnecessary. And remember also what God says here in the psalm. As far as the east is from the west, I've removed your transgressions. Don't drag them up again. But the other thing is he says, he does not reward us according to our iniquities. If he did, we're all cooked. We're all done. Now, second, there is not only this prohibition, <clears throat> prohibition against harshness and unfairness with our children, but there is provision commanded. Ephesians 6, fathers, Parents, don't provoke your children. We have that again. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Both of those words are providing for words. It is providing. Provision also addresses a need. We provide needs. Children, then, have a need for Nurture, 
and for admonition. Nurture here just means, it means to feed, to clothe, to, the original word literally means to suckle, to feed them, to provide for them what they need for all branches of their life, physically, emotionally, psychologically, intellectually, culturally, but most of all, spiritually. That's what the word nurture here means, a providing atmosphere. Then second, admonition is generally, it means, and here's where we've all got to apologize at times and ask God to forgive us, it's kindly correction. It's not the cuff them with the back of your hand. I wonder, 20 uh, long years, long years ago, I was still pastoring out in Oregon, and I remember being out in the parking lot of some mall or whatever, and there was this little girl, and her mother was just literally screaming at her. Now, she never laid a hand on her, but she didn't have to, the damage she was doing. She was literally screaming out in public, broad daylight, about her daughter, to her daughter, to stop. She didn't want to go off the curb, okay? That's all right, but not the way she was dealing with it, just screaming at her. You're stupid. Don't go out there. Stay up there. And that she was small enough that she, then her mom said, okay, let's go. So she started taking a step. And then, I don't know what was going on. The mother changed her mind. Get back, get back. That poor little girl was just going back and forth, and she was crying. And I started over there. I thought, you know what? I'm going to tell her. <laughs> and so I started over there. Basically, she was far enough away that finally she got to their car, which wasn't very far away, and I couldn't get to her. Probably good. But somebody needed to. I wondered often, I still think of that scene, and I wondered, I wonder how that poor little girl ever turned out. Now, that's enough on not provoking, provide, nurture, correction. And correction doesn't necessarily mean any more than verbal. Um, but we do, we do have to always have, we can't be unwilling and thus spare the rod. Now, it's too bad the King James Version, I love the King James Version, it but the language then can be misinterpreted or people take it literally. But if you read Proverbs on raising children, you see the word beat them with the rod fairly frequently. Okay? Well, it, now God is not telling you to cane some kid till he can't stand. But he uses that word. And so you always have to explain it and explain it away and he doesn't mean this. 
But he said, the rod cleanses or chases away, gets rid of foolishness. Now, foolishness, almost everywhere we see it in the Bible, doesn't have anything to do with intellect, doesn't have anything to do with stupidity. The word fool, all through Scripture, and foolishness has to do with being unteachable. It's, it literally means doesn't lay to heart, won't listen. It says foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod shall drive it far from him. Probably one of the most sobering verses it's a string of several sentences. Do not spare the rod. It says, chasten him immediately. Or don't, don't let things go. Do not spare for his crying, for he shall not die. Now here's where that word comes in, but Beat thy son with the rod and save his soul from hell. That's the verse. That's what our duty is to steer them towards heaven. And we're failing if we don't take whatever kind of appropriate action there is. And I don't have the time to lay all that out. Every child is different just because they're raised in the same home. Some children respond to certain kinds of discipline. Others don't. And we can't, you know, the old business of lining all five kids up and spanking all of them because if they, one did something and the other probably did and we didn't find out about it. You've, we've all heard that. So, you know, this is for what I should have and I didn't. That's child abuse. Every child often needs some slight different kind of treatment. That's not being inequitable. But we have to tailor, God does, He tailors our discipline to what, what we respond to. Now, so correction, absolutely necessary, but it needs to be as best as we can coherent. I don't remember. I was in my 30s, I guess. And I've often quoted, and we have our library um, provided with books by Richard Taylor, um, one of the leading, leading minds in the last generation um, and author, saint of God. He was in our home when we were pastoring just for a very short pastorate in Michigan. Um, we'd left Oregon, went to Michigan for just less than three years and to try to resurrect a church, then moved on. Well, I had Richard Taylor there to speak um, and for three or four days. And I was sitting with him in the living room, and I don't remember exactly what all went on, but one of the kids was being nuts. And I, I said something to the ch child, and then half to myself and half to Dr. Taylor, I said, I tell you what, that kid's hopeless. 
Well, he knew I was joking, and he said, I know. But he immediately, um, he immediately corrected me. He says, don't say that. He said, uh, you know, I know you're joking, but he said, don't let him hear you say that. That they may believe it, that you're hopeless. <laughs> don't do that. So the correction we give them to the best of our ability has to be patterned after how God treats us. God doesn't beat us up. That's one thing, too. I don't want to get off the subject. But in your heart, spiritually, when there come times where you're beat up, you're accused, there's darkness, there seems heaviness on your heart, and you, just, you ask God 5,000 times, Lord, if I've done something, I just feel bad, I don't know what I might have, I don't know what I might have done. And what, Listen, that's not... God. God doesn't talk to us like that, ever. Even when God is blasting us, He mixes in such a large dose of hope and love and kindness that even in the midst of His chastening, there is, I know He loves me. I know He's for me. I know He has my best interests at heart parents as best we can that's how we have to bring our our children that's the admonition he's talking about that's the definition of admonition is loving hopeful correction i know that all of us we only have examples of how our own parents trained us and none of our parents were perfect i know that I guess, though, I followed a pattern and with, with our children. Um, we would go for a while, and we'd get warnings. Um, from my mother or my dad, we'd get these warnings, you better knock it off, sweeten up. That was my mother's favorite. It was snap her fingers, sweeten up. Attitude would get it just as bad as an actual act. And finally, D-Day arrived. After how many ever warnings, it was H-hour. <laughs> okay, there was the ping pong, you know, the, those little um, paddles with the, the, the rubber band and the ball, you know, and you're giving me... And, and suddenly, as soon as the rubber band breaks, which was in 15 minutes of getting it home, it was an instrument of torture from then on. And so... Get the, you know, dad would get the ping pong paddle, take us usually into our bedroom, over his knee, spank us, not to kill us, but, you know, warmed you up good. Then sit you on the bed or the chair or whatever and leave for a little bit. And they could hear, of course, and I was grateful for this, especially not at the time. But I like this. You got to cry for so long and then knock it off. Because there, it gets beyond the crying of the, the pain or whatever else. And this is, <laughs> boy, the door had come open. Knock it off. That's enough. 
Because that in itself is retaliation, a rebellious kind of retaliation. Don't do that. But then, whichever one spanked us would come in, sit down and say, listen, we're okay. Let's forget this. We're not going to talk about it anymore. I love you. Often we'd pray and it was back to normal and we're not going to be bugging you about it anymore. I think God's that way. God knows how to light us up good. <laughs> but when it's over, it's over. And he says, now, come on. Let's dust you off and let's get back on track and we'll bury that and let's go on. Finally, which I've already looked at, really, is this pattern. He said, bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. God's teaching and God's ways, the pattern. There's a prohibition, don't provoke your children. There's provision, nurture, and admonition. And there is a pattern. Like God loves us, Psalm 103, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. He remembers our frame. He knows we're dust. The pattern then <clears throat> can only really be followed as best we can being dust when the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts and we can listen to him. I have headed up the stairs when you put, you know, you, you put the kids down for a nap. And of course they immediately do it. And you're hearing noises and you're hearing this and that and you holler up, you know, hey, you guys, knock it off. And it gets quiet for a couple minutes and then pretty soon, you know, there's the door slamming or some, somebody's bawling and, you know. So finally, you head upstairs. And it's, you know, you, we all know the phrase, don't make me come up there. So you head up the stairs. I hope this doesn't seem weird or strange. But heading up the stairs, I would, in my mind, I would pray. I'd say, now, Lord, don't help me not be too hard on them. Help me know, you know. Um, because you never know what, what you're going to find when you open the door. <laughs> you know what I mean? The lamp's broken, the, you know, whatever. There's that little small check in your heart. It's as real as can be. You've got to listen for it. But there's that little kind of, don't, don't be too hard on them. Let this go. Who's that coming from? Well, it's coming from the God who does know their dust. He does know what they're capable of. He does know what they don't know better than I do. So we have a live-in family marriage counselor if, we the, if the Holy Spirit's in here. Only way to live. And God never makes a mistake. He helps us with the ones we make. The damage is not permanent. I ap apologize, I don't know how many times, to my children. Um, 
God's helped them. And they aren't maimed for life by the mistakes we make. They're resilient, especially when they know that we love them. And then finally, we have to remember this. There comes that day when they go out of our physical presence and out of our physical control. And then we are still in their lives, obviously, but in a sense, we turn them over to God. And it's Him that they have to deal with. It's His voice. Yes, they hear ours echoing in their minds, but they've got to deal with God, and they have a free will, and they can exercise it to reject God, and He will honor that. He will not compel them. So there's a sense in which not only does my control over them, but to a certain degree, and I hope I don't, I'm not mistaken here or not saying it right, but the responsibility for what they do is out of my hands too. They answer to God ultimately. And lest we feel that our children haven't turned out right and therefore it's all our fault, the devil will be very faithful to tell you that. God himself, Isaiah 2, I have raised up children and they've rebelled against me. Now, God doesn't make mistakes. There's no, he's never needed to apologize to his children. He's perfect. Even a perfect father said, my children rejected my ways. They turned against what I taught them. They have a free will. Do our best and then pray and leave them as best we can in the hands of God who can get to them better than we can. Let's bow our heads. We'll just close with prayer. And then if you'll give me just a chance to exit before all of you do. Father in heaven, I pray that there would be some help from your word today in instruction to us Lord, I'm sure you know there is no task greater in importance but also in difficulty than being parents. You, all through the Old and New Testament, have all kinds of encouragements, instructions, help to parents. You know how 